0: Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Good morning, Southbridge Church family. Thank you so much for worshiping with us online today. I'm pumped to be back preaching God's Word. If you've got a copy of the scriptures, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 in just a moment. But uh, I've missed you, and I've missed uh, really just seeing your faces too. I love that we're gathering together online right now. But I'm looking forward to our gathering coming up in just a couple weeks on August 30th at 9 a.m. We're going to be right here on the campus at Southbridge outdoors for a 9 a.m. service gathering together in person and not just because I love preaching to people more than preaching to a camera, which I do, and not just because I miss seeing you, which I do, but I know there's all those special things that happen when you gather together that are unplanned, whether it's seeing people praying together or just encouraging one another, just hearing each other sing. And so I'm looking forward to that time. I hope you'll mark your calendars. And those of you who are able, that you'll be with us on that time. I don't know exactly what COVID's been like for you, but I can tell you that my wife and I have spent more time on screen time than normal. Not just our kids' screen time, I'm not talking about phones and iPads for them and, you know, turn it off. And But I, I just mean for us, watching shows, some of you found the end of Netflix. Some of you have been scrolling through social media and watching cats chase laser beams and various blooper videos as much as you're like tired of watching all that stuff now right like and one of the things that we've been watching and we've always watched is HGTV there's a new show that we've been following it's called Renovation Island i don't know if you've seen it yet or not you can mark in the comments whether you've seen the show and what happens is there's this couple that they, they were on vacation in the Bahamas they found this old rundown resort and they decided to leverage everything they have and buy the resort and renovate it and and they said they leverage everything they had but as I'm watching it, I've been questioning that a little bit because there, every episode, something comes up they didn't plan, they cost a bunch of money, and somehow they have the money to do it. And, and they keep saying they had limited time, but they keep extending the deadline. I'm not going to ruin anything for you, but we were watching one episode, and they ended up finding out they had termites in this hotel block. It has about 18 rooms in it, and there's termites just been eating through this whole place. In fact, the termites were so bad. They were in this, the dining room that had a tile floor and cement underneath that. They were chiseling it up, and it was a bunch of termites between cement and tile just running through there, I don't know if you've ever seen these little guys before, but they're evil, just they're little, just you know, chewing stuff up and little wicked faces, biting into things and just costing a bunch of money and I'm watching the show. But not, I'm not that concerned. It's that guy's money. But then I had the thought. When's the last time I had my house inspected for termites? And then I started thinking about what if I have termites? How much is that gonna cost if I have termites? Are you following my thought process? <laughs> Some of you are probably having that thought process right now, thinking about your own house and your own termites and maybe the things that are happening, and so I Google real quick and I pull up a place and I called and I said, will you come out and inspect? And they came out and inspected and they said, did you know you have termites? But I didn't know if I was getting scanned, so I called two more places and they said the same thing. Do you know you have termites? <laughs> yeah, I know I have termites now. I started thinking, when's the last time I had it inspected before that? And I thought back for years I was having somebody come out on an annual basis and check it out just to make sure I was okay. But then, at one point, a guy gave me a thing, and he said, you need to have a $1,000 treatment in order for these inspections to be valid. And I thought, it just seemed like a scam. I wasn't sure. And you know what I did? Nothing. <laughs> and then it had been about two years since I called and had a re-inspection. And now I had termites. And I don't know how long they've been there. But do you know what I learned when they told me I had termites? <laughs> Not just that it was going to cost me more money than I wanted it to, but I learned that I had an unseen enemy that had been chewing at the structure of my home. They would eventually destroy my home if I didn't do something. And Southbridge, I want to share with you that same message with you today. We have an unseen enemy. And it might make us sleep better at night to not think about it or talk about it and kind of put our heads in the sand. But Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 that our battle is not against flesh and blood, And we're seeing a lot of stuff and arguments between people and parties and groups and all that kind of stuff happening right now in the world. But we've got to remember there's an unseen battle that's taking place. And many of us don't want to talk about that or think about that. And if other people hear us talk about it, they might think we're weird as Christians. But if we believe the Bible, that's what it says. that you have an enemy and he's real. And it seems like he's been really active during this COVID season. I don't know where you're at in your relationship with Jesus. But when you look at some of the studies, they're not encouraging about how American Christians are doing during this season. I said, so George Barna had recently done a study in July, and he said that about 32% of Christians, about one in three Christians that were attending church before COVID aren't attending at all now. Not online, not in any way. You go, oh, we got to get back to church. No, 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 not just about getting them to attend an event. The study went on to say that those people that weren't connected to their church, that weren't attending now, were experiencing more anxiety, more emotional burdens, more likely to be perpetually bored. It's the devil's playground. I saw one pastor had uh, sent out a survey about pastors, and the survey estimated that about 20% of pastors would quit due to discouragement and things that were happening during the season. So there's a battle that's taking place, and we're doing this series called Shift, and I want to shift our attention during this time period to talk about the unseen battle. And so today we're going to begin what's going to really be a three-part sermon as we walk through Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 18 and talk about this unseen battle. Today's message is entitled, Take a Stand. If you got your Bible, please join me in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians is a great book. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's only six chapters, and the outline of the book is very simple. In fact, it breaks down the first three chapters and the second three chapters. In the first three chapters, What you see is a bunch of gospel truth about who God is and what he's done in our lives and what that means to us and then who we become that we actually receive. If you're a follower of Jesus, now if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm going to tell you how to become one in in just a few moments. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you've received a new identity. That God selected you to be in his family. He's adopted you to be his son or daughter. You're a son or daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That he's done a work in you. By depositing the Holy Spirit in you to take you from being dead in your trespasses and sins to being made alive in Christ. You were without hope and without God, but he made you alive in Christ. He's deposited the Holy Spirit in you. That God actually is living inside of you. The very power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead is at work in you. The God who raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you. That's incredible truth. And then chapter 3, you end up seeing He divided the walls. It, it was a barrier between us and, and brought Jew and Gentile together that were one to the cross. And, and then it comes to this culmination prayer where He says, Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than I could ask or imagine. Then there's a transition in chapter 4. Chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And so the first three chapters are all about who God is, what He's done, and what it means to us and who we are. Chapter four, five, and six are all about what we do in light of who we are, what we do in light of who he is, what we do in light of what he's done, and how we walk worthy. And it gets real practical. It talks about in our marriage, it talks about with our kids, it talks about at work. But if you read it, a bunch of it's it's really ideal. Like in a marriage where the husband loves his wife, like Christ loves the church, and she loves her, respects her husband, and, and work relationships and with kids that are wanting to be trained in the Lord, like all those kinds of things. But then you get to chapter six. And where we're going to start reading, it says, finally, that's not just a long-winded preacher saying, hey, I'm about to wrap this thing up. No, he's going, here's the last exhortation that brings this all together. I've told you about the ideal, now let's get real practical about why it's not as easy as it sounds, why many of these things are very difficult. Look at what he says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. And then verse 14 goes on to talk about, and stand, therefore, stand. And so what he's doing here is he's showing us there's a battle taking place that oftentimes we don't like to think about, but it's real. And us being unaware of it's not gonna help us any. In like fact, some of you may be watching you know different videos, and they have this, you know, if you're watching YouTube and you don't have some subscription, little videos ads pop up. Have you seen that Geico ad where there's a guy that's being chased by bad guys and he gets to the top and he's waiting for the helicopter to land and his phone rings, and the helicopter's not quite there yet, and the bad guys are coming, and he answers his phone, like, where are you? And then it says mom on the other line. She says, we got squirrels in the attic again. And she just starts talking about mundane stuff of life. In the meantime, the bad guys are coming towards him. He's punching and kicking. and She's going, yeah, your dad thinks it's personal this time. He won't call the exterminator. Hey, Mom, can I call you? i got to go. And he's fighting and doing all this. And the humor of the commercial the whole time is, there's a battle taking place, and she's unaware. At the end of the call, she goes, it's loud where you're at. Are you in a Zumba class? And it's like humorous for, him, for everybody watching this thing because she's so unaware. It's not humorous for us as followers of Jesus, to be unaware of the battle that's taking place. Do you know why? Because we have such a wicked enemy. Did you, did you see he's named here in this passage? And there's, there's people that like to say, you know, the devil's not real. It's just a personification of evil and the evil things that happen in this world. That's not what the Bible teaches. When you look at the Bible, you see he's a real intelligent being. He was created by God. He's a fallen angel. You see in Isaiah chapter 14. And he's called here in this passage of Scripture, the devil, in verse 11. The end of verse 11 the schemes of the devil that are coming against you. He's got schemes for your life. And he's a wicked enemy. It's called throughout the Bible, lots of names. Let me share some of them with you. It's called the accuser, the adversary, the liar, the father of lies, a murderer, thief, the devil, Satan, Beelzebub, the god of this age, the ruler of this world, the evil one, the dragon. He's referred to as a roaring lion going throughout the earth looking for whom he might devour. He comes as an angel of light. He's real. He's powerful. He knows your name. He knows your kid's name. He wants to destroy you. He's at work, and we oftentimes don't see it. And what Paul's saying in this passage of scripture is be aware, but not just be aware, there's something for you to do. Take a stand. And that's our main and our only point today, really, is this that as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you must take a stand against your enemy. You must take a stand against your enemy. Taking a stand is nothing new. Like, we see people taking stands all throughout history. All, right now, if you are looking at social media, you see people taking a stand against injustice. And many times that's right. Like, there's things that are wrong in this world. and Take a stand against those things. And there shouldn't be, you know, poverty and hunger and, and orphans and all this, the, the things that we're seeing that are wrong in this world. And sometimes there are political stands and sometimes whether wear a mask, not wear a mask, and. When you hear me say take a stand, you might miss that it's a specific stand against a specific enemy. It's not flesh and blood. Remember the text said that. It's the devil, your enemy. He wants to destroy your life. He's got schemes to destroy you. And Oftentimes we live unaware of his presence, but he's there. Now let me just say this about this. I'm not saying that the devil is the cause of everything evil in the world or every problem we have. In fact, he's not even our only enemy when we look at the Bible as a whole. We see we've got the world, that's the world system that's anti-God, that wants to diminish God, be anti-God, drive us away from God, either distract us from so that we waste our lives or that we would literally rebel against Him. And then there's the flesh, there's our own flesh that wants to do wrong, that we're led astray by our own sinful nature. And even when we want to do right, we do wrong, and there's that battle that takes place, but then there's also the devil. So you can't blame the devil for every bad thing. You know, if my daughters are watching this sermon, one of them punches the other one in the face and then looks at me and says, the devil made me do it. I'm like, "No, you're responsible for what happened here. Influence, all that, I don't know. But here's the reality. Even though the devil's not responsible for everything that happens, he is active and he wants to destroy you. And the emphasis of this passage is to take a stand against him. Look back at it, go back to the passage. In in verse 11, it says that we're to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then you jump down to verse 13, it says that, that you may be able to withstand, there's a version of that word, in the evil day, and have done all to stand. And then I didn't read verse 14, but verse 14 gives the command, stand therefore. And so there's a clear emphasis here that we're to take a stand against the enemy. It's not just defensive, it's also offensive, because there, You know, some people talk about it's all, there's two offensive weapons in this armor that we'll read about as we come to it, but here he's talking about we stand, we hold our ground, but then... We, we're also, we're, we're children of the light. There's nothing to stand for if we don't take some ground. And so we're to take this stand because he's at work. And we see it all through the Bible. From the beginning in Genesis, and he comes on the scene and he tempts Eve and Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit and Adam's held responsible just through one man sending into the world because he didn't take a stand. You see what happens in the book of Job? Even those of you, some of you who are not that familiar with the Bible probably have heard of Job, right? He's this guy that all this bad stuff happened to. And one day... He lost three businesses, talk about a financial crisis, and one day he had ten kids die. Talk about being overwhelmed by tragedy. Do you know the problem for Job? I've said this before, the problem for Job is he never got to read his own book because what happens in Job chapter 1 as the story is being told is that God pulls the curtain back in verses 6 through 12 And he shows us something that Job didn't get to see and his friends didn't get to see, that there was a a cosmic conversation taking place where Satan had come to God and asked permission to do these things in Job's life. And so you're wondering if you're Job, like what's happened and what have I done or why is this going on? And, And the reality is it wasn't even about Job. It was about God's glory. But what he didn't see was the unseen battle that was taking place that was really between God and Satan. And if what you notice in that is that God's got ultimate power and authority over Satan. Satan had to ask permission to do anything. And then what you see is when Jesus comes on the scene, there's this battle taking place right before he starts his ministries. goes out in the wilderness 40 days. He fasts. Then he's tempted by the devil. And do you know what happens at the end of that? When Jesus tells him to go away, he goes away. Let me point out something to you about Jesus and demons in the Gospels. There's not a single demon that's like, all right, here comes Jesus, let's go. They're all submissive. They're all surrendering. They're all in fear because they know who he is. It doesn't mean the battle's not real. In fact, there's a really eerie verse In the Gospel of Luke about the temptations, in Luke chapter 4, it says this. Have you ever seen this verse before? And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. In other words, he would attack again. And he was looking because of his schemes for the moment. So, yeah, that's Old Testament Job and then Jesus. And Jesus is unique in that. Well, you know, later in Jesus' ministry, he's talking to one of his followers. He's a person just like us. Peter is his name. And he tells Peter, it's before Peter fails and has his biggest failure he has in his entire life. And he tells Peter about a spiritual battle that's going on. It's also in the Gospel of Luke. It's in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. He says this, Simon, Simon, that's Peter's other name. Behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. Verse 32, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Now, wait, wait. If I'm Peter, I'm like, y'all are talking about me? Why are you talking about me? Do you think there's ever a conversation about you? Because Paul's writing here to believers. and He's saying, you've got to stand. Why? Why do we have to stand? Because there's schemes of the devil. And I'll point something out to you about that word, schemes, in, in Ephesians chapter 6. That's a plural word. There's not a single scheme. It's not like he's got a scheme for you and a scheme for He's got dynamic schemes that change throughout our lives. And so we all got to be asking ourselves the question, what, what are they? One book I tell you to check out as we're studying through Ephesians chapter 6 is a book by a guy named Larry Richards. It's called The Armor of God. In fact, I brought a copy here with me, and you and, and might not agree with everything that he's got in this book, but the way he actually outlines the book is by going through the different elements of the armor of God that we're going to look at in the coming weeks, and he says the whole outline of the book of Ephesians is based on that, but then he also does something interesting that I thought is a way to learn some of the schemes of the devil is that he shows how the schemes of the devil actually correlate with the armor that God's given us. And so he gives us things we're going to see in the coming weeks, like the belt of truth. And we know that he's the father of lies, that he's a liar. He's been a liar since the the beginning, deceiving Eve in the garden. And and what lies is he telling you? I asked some people on Facebook this week, just some of my friends on there, what lies do you struggle with? If you were one of the people that responded, thank you so much. People were so transparent and honest, and it can be discouraging to see some of the things, but it's also encouraging to know that we're not alone in some of those things, and people said everything from that I I can't homeschool my kids, to there's sin in my life, that God could never forgive me of this sin, or I struggle with this sin. Some of you have contacted me personally, you didn't want to put it on Facebook. Some of you trusted Christ when you were a kid, and you think your salvation's not authentic because you were just a kid. Some of you trusted Christ later in life, and you think, well, yeah, but I could never really be like a a first-tier Christian because I did these things, and all lies. All lies. The antidote to lies is truth. Many people, they're attacked in their faith. we got the shield of faith. One of his schemes is to attack our faith. And many of us were so bound up in, in fear and chaos and the unknown and all the circumstances of life that we don't want to take it. We talk about being people of faith. We talk about living by faith. When's the last time you took a step of faith? And many of us, we would measure that, not by days or months, even, but years. It's the last time you took a step of faith? Maybe the enemy's at work and he's stopping you from living out your faith. The breastplate of righteousness that we have, he attacks us in sin and with temptations. We see he even does that with our own Savior coming with temptations. And, and you see Paul, who writes in another book in Romans 7 I, I don't do what I want to, and then I do the things I don't want to do. And the enemy's at work. He's got schemes, and he knows you, and he knows your name. And here's the reality. That word schemes, where we get our word method, it's strategies. He's got strategies for us. You think about strategies in sports. And there's been a lot of talk this week about football and whether there's going to be college football or not college football. And Think about your favorite team. I mean, We could skip all the games anyways, right, and just have Clemson play Alabama at the end of the season. We just figure out kind of who's the champion in that deal. But here's the thing. Can you imagine your team showing up for a big game and not watching any film on the other team? not looking at the strategy, just like, we're good athletes. We're, they're all good athletes. We just show up, and but if the other team had a strategy or, or to take it to another level in war, like, our country spends trillions of dollars on drones and tanks and spies and all kinds of stuff that we're trying to find out what the enemies are doing. And we don't want them to know what we're doing. And we got offensive and defensive weapons. Your enemy has years of footage on you. My enemy's got 43 years of footage on me to know my weaknesses. You need to know his strategies and how to stand. Like It's one thing to be told to stand in this passage, but the question we have to ask ourselves, how how do I do that? The good news is the passage tells us how to do that. And and one of the first ways we do that, there's just two ways I'll give you today. One of the first ways is simply this, that that you must stand with God's people. If you're going to stand against the enemy, you must stand with God's people. The Christian life was never meant to be lived alone. In fact, no life is meant to be lived alone. You see in the very beginning of the Bible, there's this theme when God created. Then the first day he created and it was good. Second day he created and it was good. Third day he created and it was good. And this rhythm keeps happening. And it was good, and it was good, and it was good until you get to Genesis chapter 2. And Genesis chapter 2, it's like a car on the expressway slamming on its brakes, like the rhythm has changed. And it says it's not good for man to be alone. Or you get to the New Testament. In the New Testament, believers in Jesus are commanded over 50 times how to live out our faith with one another commands. There's 59 of them, in fact. We're to love one another and pray for one another and carry each other's burdens and confess sins to one another. And It's not even possible to be an obedient Christian and not be in relationship with God's people. And here in this passage of Scripture, we see the Apostle Paul, when he talks about one of the offensive weapons, when he talks about prayer later on in verses 18 through 20, he says this, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, Like if there's one thing I would think that Paul doesn't need, it would be boldness. Like I don't know if you know much of his story or the story of the Bible, but this guy preached the gospel, get arrested. Preach the gospel and be, you know, flawed. he says in, in Corinthians, he says five times I was flogged by the Jews. I've been beaten by my people. I've been beaten by Gentiles. I've been beaten by Jews. There's been false teachers. I've been imprisoned. He's either getting imprisoned or beaten. When he's, I read a story today in Acts chapter 14 where they stoned him because they didn't like him preaching the gospel. They left him outside the city for dead. Believers come and gather around him, God raises him up, and he goes the next day and preaches the gospel somewhere else. Okay, and then this guy's saying, I need you to pray for me to the people he led to Christ. He going, I need you to pray that I'll be bold. <laughs> like boldness, I wouldn't think would be a struggle for this guy. But you know what we see in, in Paul's life? He knows he needs other believers. If you go through all those mission trips in the book of Acts that he goes on, starts all these different churches, that's where these letters that are written in the New Testament come from, he doesn't go by himself. He goes with a team. He needs other people. And here, it says that he's an ambassador in chains. Did you see that when I was reading that verse? He's in prison when he writes this letter. Many people believe he might actually be chained to a Roman guard at this moment. And and, and all the people in that time that are under Roman rule would be familiar with the outfits that they would wear, and that's why he gives the armor of God, using as an illustration these Roman soldiers and their armor. And if that's true, and he's carrying that on, and here, what he's, what he's talking about is that the Roman soldiers, they look strong like in their armor, but they're vulnerable when they're by themselves. But when they're together, they're almost invincible. Child of God, follower of Jesus. Like, if you're going to stand against the enemy, you've got to stand with, with God's people. I remember seeing this when I was reading in a, in a Bible commentary. and We were talking about this. And I'm just going to read it to you, what it said. It said, if prayer for one another, talking about verse 18, it says, if prayer for one another continues the figurative image of war- warfare in the preceding context, that was chapter 6, verses 10 through 17, and might relate to how the soldiers had to stand together in their battle formation, covering one another by moving as a solid unit. A Roman soldier by himself was vulnerable. But as a unified army, a Roman legion was, was virtually invincible. <laughs> I, I read that. and One of my favorite illustrations of this is, is the movie Gladiator. I don't know if you've seen the movie Gladiator, but the lead character, Russell Crowe, plays a guy named Maximus. And what happens for Maximus, he was a Roman general, but then he ends up being thrown into being a slave, and then as a slave he goes to a gladiator. And one of the first battles, he's in the middle of the Roman Colosseum. And they would just slaughter people for entertainment, they would reenact stories of history, and And then what they were reenacting that day was when Rome defeated Carthage, and he was one of the the people from Carthage. And he's standing there with these other guys that are gladiators, some trained, some not trained, and they show him, and he's just laser-focused on the gate. He's got a mask on, and he says to the other guys, any of you serve in the army? One guy says, I have. He goes, you can help me. And he says, no matter what comes through that gate, we've got a better chance of survival if we stay together. And then he says... Do you understand me? If we stay together, we've got a better chance to survive. Then the gate opens, right? And these chariots come busting out. And these soldiers are trained. They've got bow and arrows, long-distance weapons, they're throwing javelins, and people start getting picked off. You can look the clip up if you want to. And people, it's pretty, it gets pretty graphic. People are getting picked off, and then he says, Everybody together! And he calls them all together. And they come together, but the people who keep getting picked off are the ones that stay off on their own, that are isolated. And then he says to them, lock your shields as one. And then they come and then they're shooting the arrows and the javelins and they can't penetrate the shields. So what happens is the chariot gets too close, gets overturned and then eventually the gladiators win. At the end, the emperor says something like, "Uh, my history's a little rusty but I think we defeated the people of Carthage. Yeah. But it shows how strong they were together. See, follower of Jesus Christ we're very vulnerable in isolation. We can be strong together. We can stand together. Even Paul, the Apostle Paul, knew that he needed other believers in order to win this spiritual battle. So do you, so do I. So let's let's apply this. Like let's think. If if, if George Barno's stats are accurate, which I don't know, I'm gonna talk to everybody and try to do a survey, but if they're accurate and over 30% of people that were going to church are no longer going to church. And that's impacting their lives in a negative way, no matter how you slice it, regardless of, some of those people probably weren't believers, and it will be good for them to be away from church because they'll really, maybe thought, deceive themselves and think they're believers, but some of them are genuine believers. And we don't tend to drift towards obedience. We tend to drift away from God. And so that's why there's increased anxiety. That's why there's increased difficulty. That's why there's extra emotional burdens. Like, that's why these things are happening. So why don't you reach out to some of those people, if you know them. Maybe share this service with them right now. And we invite them to come when we get together again on August 30th and, and, and meet together and take them to lunch and spend some time together. Maybe there's some people that have been in your small group. See, there's a reason why the Scripture warns us in Hebrews chapter 3 that we should exhort one another every day so we don't get, become hardened by sin's deceitfulness because sin is deceptive. And there's a way that, that, that we can be deceived into thinking things are going to be good for us that ultimately destroy us and ruin us, and, and we need each other, believers, I need you, you need me, we need each other, the whole body. Any of you thinking, believing the lie that you have nothing to offer? God's given you spiritual gifts. And God's given you a purpose for being here. Ephesians chapter 2, he's prepared for you, works for you to do in advance. So you got to be. And we're missing out if you're not a part of this. And so how could we ever, how could we ever be the church in Acts chapter 2 if we're not willing to live life together in relationships, being vulnerable with each other? And I'm not talking about masks like whether to wear mask for the pandemic or not, but like taking off the masks and the pretenses that we often have at church and just getting real with each other, that we all struggle with sin and we all have some lies that we believe and That's why we need the truth to combat it. That's why we need to be exhorted by each other on a daily basis because we need to, if we're going to stand, we've got to stand together. And so I'll just ask you a question I ask my kids. Who are your friends that help you love Jesus more? I'll ask them periodically. I'll just say, hey, girls, you know, who do you... Do you have friends that help you love? And I'm not asking if you have friends that go to church. I'm not asking if you have friends who love Jesus. I'm asking you, who are your friends that help you love Jesus more? And then I turn it on them, and I say, are you that kind of friend? Are you the kind of friend that helps other people love Jesus? Do people, because of being around you, are they drawn to Jesus? See, that's what we need for each other if we're going to stand against this enemy, that we stand with God's people. But not only do we stand with God's people, We stand in God's strength. We don't just stand with God's people. We also stand in God's power, in God's strength. Go go back to the very first verse I read to you in verse 10. I said, finally, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Why is that? Well, he tells us because we're, we're in a wrestling match. We're in a struggle, some of your translations say. Have you ever wrestled somebody before? Some of you maybe were on a wrestling team or... Maybe you just wrestle your brother or whatever growing up or sister growing up. My kids, they wrestle. And I remember, I remember when I was in college, we used to have this dorm that was set up. It had these four hallways that all emptied into one central spot. And what we would do sometimes is we would line the walls with mattresses. And we'd go in there, and there'd be all these guys, and there'd be two guys who would get in the middle, and they'd start wrestling with each other. And everybody's yelling and talking trash and all that kind of stuff. And I was usually just kind of like the mouth. Like, I didn't want to get in there. And a lot of guys were bigger and stronger than me, and I'd just talk and instigate and cause problems. But I remember one time finding myself in the middle. And I was wrestling against this other guy about my size, about my strength. The most boring wrestling match you've ever seen. Because we'd go at it with each other, and, and th- then nothing would happen. Nobody'd flip each other. Nobody'd body slam each other. We'd just roll around a little bit. And we did that for about 10, 15 minutes. And then we were just exhausted, and other people got bored, and they kind of trickled away. And when it was done, I went into the bathroom. It a communal bathroom, too. And you know what I did at that point? I started throwing up. Like, great, like, not just like, oh, I don't feel good. It was like hurling my guts out. And then another guy came walking in. I just looked at him. I said, hey, you, don't tell anybody. Because I don't want the other guy to know that maybe he had won in that situation. The reality is well, I, was, I was out of strength. I was exhausted. Some of you might be exhausted through this time. You're trying to battle the spiritual battle on your own. You're exhausted by the fears that have been plaguing you. Maybe you're exhausted by your anxiety, the lies you've been believing, the sin struggle you've had. Can I point out something to you in this passage? The strength that he commands. It would have been no good if that guy had walked in the bathroom and said to me, Hey, be strong. No, I'm not, okay? I'm just not strong. Did you see here? There, there's key words in this passage. God's word is his word from our creator, our redeemer, to us. As his followers, he's speaking to us and every word matters. It's what he said. Be strong in the Lord. Notice he doesn't say be strong for the Lord. He doesn't say be strong to the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. It's when you're in the Lord that you can have this strength. And what he's going back to is what he's already talked about in this book when he's telling us about God's work and how powerful God is in the first three chapters. In chapter 1, he was praying this prayer. And he's praying, and it starts about verse 17. But in verse 19, he starts talking about the power. Look, look what it says in chapter 1 and verse 19. He says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? There's another power word. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. This is the powerful God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead that we're also told in chapter 1 and verse 13 has been deposited in you. So the God that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you. That's the power you have if you're in Christ Christ. He talked about this power again in chapter two. He says you were dead in your trespass and sin, but you've been made alive in Christ. He raised you from the dead spiritually. In chapter three, he's praying a prayer for believers. He says this in verse sixteen: that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. That's the power got the power of God at work in your life. And then verse 20 and 21, it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power, get this, at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, because of the power of God, the living God, at work in us, the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, at work in you, that's the power you have access to. And so let me tell you something. You don't have to fight for victory over the enemy. You already have victory if you have Jesus Christ. Because what it means to be in Christ That you're in union, that means you've trusted Him as your Savior. And if you haven't done that, I'll tell you to do that in just a minute. But if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are in Christ. That's where our strength comes from. Well, how do I experience it? How does that happen? Here's the problem with that question most of us want a formula. The same as we want to lose weight by taking a diet pill. Or we want to know the trick to success at our work by three keys. And so a lot of times we come to the Bible and we're like, what's the code? What's the secret? Like, if I knew these verses in this combination, then it would unlock and if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got access to this strength. If you don't, you don't. You don't have access to this if you're not a follower of Jesus. But if you are a follower of Jesus, the strength's already at work in you because you have union with Christ. But what sometimes happens for us is that our communion with Christ gets broken. We've got union. Nothing can stop that. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. No sin, no circumstances, nothing that could happen in this world. No, no virus, no, no persecution, no plague. Like Nothing can separate you from the love of God. But our experiencing that love, our communion, and by communion I don't mean like taking the Lord's table together, I mean our relationship with him, that can ebb and flow. And it can even get broken. And we talk about it as a church all the time, the vision, you know, connect people to Jesus for life change. And we want to see that happen, how spiritual transformation in people's lives to such a degree that leads to gospel saturation in our city and in the world. I've been off from preaching for about six weeks and it's the longest break I've taken. in 14 years from preaching at our church. And during that time, I had to ask myself the question, you know, you've done a lot of connecting other people to Jesus. Are you connected? And it was one time I was spending some time with God, and I felt like he just asked me this such a simple question, but so penetrating. I said, do you love me? Like, I know that I love his word. I know that I love doing stuff for him, but I started asking myself that question, like, am I in love with you? Like, do I really love you, Jesus? And I've gone back to the Gospels. I've been reading through the Gospels just to, Jesus, reveal yourself to me in a fresh way. And, let me, and, and I've asked questions like, so how much do I love the Father? Because you reveal the Father, and how much do I know about my Father? And let me ask you this question Do you love Jesus? Because the answer of how do we strengthen is ultimately, it's not a simple thing. It's a long relationship in the same direction with Jesus and a love relationship with Him. And you, and you look at, this passage of scripture, and you think about Ephesians, he's writing to these, this, this church. If you know the history of Ephesians, it starts in Acts chapter 19, and we'll talk more about that next week, but there's a there's spiritual battle that takes place, but Paul comes in with this laser vision, spiritual transformation, leads to gospel saturation, and it happens, this church gets started. And when he's leaving them in Acts chapter 20, he even tells the elders, hey, listen, there's going to be wolves, and they're going to come and try and destroy this church, even from within. Some of the people that are here, some of the people even that were elders there, he's telling them, he's warning them. Then he writes this book about their identity in Christ and the work that God's done, the transformation, amazing stuff, walk worthy of the calling, spiritual battle. Do you know what happens about 30, 40 years later? Jesus speaks to the church in Ephesus. In the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 2, he says this, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. You cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake and you've not grown weary. You love, you love doing all this stuff for me. You, you, you know the truth and you hate evil And but I have this against you that you've abandoned the love you had at first. The NIV says you've lost your first love. Remember therefore where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I'll come and I'm going to remove your, your influence, your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent, let me ask you something, follower of Jesus, do you love him? I told you about those termites we had at the beginning of this message. And three different people come out. I didn't want to get scammed. Do you know what all of them told me? There's been damage, but it's reversible, but you have to take action. And that's what I'm saying to you today. There's an unseen battle. Some of us have not been paying attention. There's been some damage, but you just got to take action. You actually have victory already in Jesus. If you know Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, here's what you need to do. You need to place your faith in him. You need to acknowledge your sin. Are you a sinner? Do you believe you're a sinner? If so, then that's the first step. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? That he rose from the dead and he can offer you forgiveness. He can forgive you of any sin. And place your trust, place your faith in him. You can do that just by praying a simple prayer like this. God, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I believe your son died for my sins. And today I want to ask Jesus Christ to be my savior. The Bible says if you do that, you believe that in your heart and you confess with your mouth that's true, that you will be saved. You'll be rescued from sin. You'll be rescued from death. You have a new life in Christ. If you just prayed that prayer, would you text the number on your screen? Just text the word Jesus to the number on your screen. And some of you are already followers of Jesus, but maybe you've been losing the battle, maybe you've been unaware of the battle. Maybe you just need some prayer. Would you text the word prayer to the number on your screen right now? In just a moment, you're going to hear some more information about how you can connect in some small groups and other relationships because we can't fight this battle alone. Father, thank you for gathering us in your name online. And this, I pray you'd use this video to go around the world and bring people to Christ. And God, I, I pray, God, that you would, you would draw believers closer to you that, that maybe have drifted. I pray there may be some that would watch today that, that haven't been going to church, but they watch today. And you'd remind them of the truth. And you, you'd show them some of the, the deceitfulness of sin. And give them a longing for you and a love for you. And Father, I pray for all of us that we would love you more than we did six months ago. Love you more than when we first came to Christ. Love you more than we ever have before, God. Will you set our hearts on fire for you? It's in Jesus' name I pray,
1: amen. Thank you, Pastor Scott, for a challenging message. Great to have you back with us, just teaching us God's truth with passion. Pastor Scott had talked about knowing Jesus Christ personally and perhaps you prayed that prayer with him. If you did, we would love to just follow up with you, help you grow, whether you're here in the Raleigh area or wherever you are, you can just text the word Jesus right now to 919-893-0304. And uh, we'd love to just follow up and, and help you grow personally, help you really understand what it means to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Uh, maybe you're just in the midst of that struggle and and you just need someone to pray with you to to sort of extend care, maybe someone to talk to, you can simply text the word prayer to that number right now. We'd love to follow up with you. Um, Maybe have a phone conversation if you want to do that, put you in touch with one of our pastors, one of our deacons, one of our elders, and and just uh, come alongside and pray with you and encourage you, care for you during this time. Uh, Pastor Scott challenged us with the question that he challenges his girls with, right? He says, who are your friends that help you love Jesus more? That's a great question for all of us and and then he followed it up with he said, are you that friend? You know we all need those kind of friends but we also need to be that friend. Uh, Here at Southbridge we're all about connecting people to Jesus for life change And, and we believe the greatest way to do that is in the context of small groups Uh, Small groups are simply a small, intimate gathering of authentic believers who desire to grow to be more like Jesus Christ and begin to multiply and replicate as we pour our lives into one another. So we have people pouring into us and loving us, helping us be more like Jesus, and we're pouring into them, helping them to be more like Jesus. We'd love to help you connect in a group. We have some existing groups that that have some space that could use people. Uh, We need leaders. Uh, If you've been part of Southbridge Fellowship and you're maturing in Christ and maybe you've thought about leading a group or hosting a group, we'd love to talk with you, Um, bring a coach alongside you. So just to know that you're not alone in the process of investing your life in others. Um, maybe you're looking for a place to connect you're looking for friendships and growth where you can grow to be more like Christ to, to, to get connected with other people to lock shields so that as we go through these struggles to realize hey We're better together because we're we're locking shields. We're locking lives together pointing one another to be like Christ um, maybe you're just in, in Holly Springs uh, we need some folks. If you're down that direction and you want to connect, we'd love to do that night awake Wake Forest, all through the Raleigh area. Just let us know, Cary, Morrisville. Uh, we've got folks all over that are, that are looking for a place to connect and, and maybe you're near each other. We'd love to help you do that. So um, if you're interested in a group uh, or maybe we've got some things that are coming up after Labor Day, some, some test drive groups, maybe you just want to begin that dialogue to say, hey, Pastor Dave, how do I get connected in a group to begin to grow with other people, grab your phone right now and simply text SG for small group, just SG to that 919-893-0304 number. We'll follow up with you. We'll have a coach contact you and and, uh, just kind of talk and find the best place for you to connect where you can continue to grow. Hey, it has been great to worship together. It's been great to be in God's Word. We want you to have a great day. And as we wrap up, would you simply read this benediction with me from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Let's read this together out loud. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church,